By the end of Mark 10, Jesus is on a mission. For the first few years of ministry, it kind of felt like they were wandering around Galilee. Well, not anymore. Each destination is on purpose to get them closer to Jerusalem. More than that, each word feels more calculated, and each story about healing feels very, very intentional. Today's story is a perfect example. While they are on the road to Jerusalem, he tells them for a third time, We are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. You'd think that would be enough to get his message across, but as you are about to see in today's story, it's not. Almost as if the disciples are blind to the truth that is right in front of their eyes. Welcome to Season 6 of Stories in Scripture, a podcast dedicated to telling the big story of the Bible one piece at a time. In this season, we are walking through Mark's Gospel. Our hope is that these short episodes would lead you into more, into a time of reading, reflection, prayer, whatever it is for you. The goal is that you let the amazing story about the Savior of the world transform the way you live out your life today. The journey to Jerusalem was not for the faint of heart. Travel days meant early mornings, getting going before the heat of the day, and often not stopping until late in the afternoon or whenever they could find a safe place to lodge. Even when that meant setting up camp, it also meant lots of opportunities to talk. James had been looking, hoping, and praying for an open window to talk to his rabbi about something really important something that had been on his heart for a long time, something his mom had even pushed him to talk to Jesus about. James realized that window was now. The team had stopped for a quick rest, and Jesus had sent the rest of the team into the village to find some food and water. James, John, and Jesus remain. As if Jesus knew there was a conversation they wanted to have, James's heart began to race, but he let it send him into a state of focus. Teacher, James said to Jesus, signaling over to his brother John to join them. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Even as the words came out of James's mouth, they felt forced, like he was playing a game, trying to trap Jesus into doing them a favor. He didn't mean for it to come out that way, but one look at Jesus reminded him that the rabbi didn't care, that this was a safe space. Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory, James said, responding with the words he had rehearsed over and over again and saying them exactly as his mom had taught him. He glanced over at his brother and smiled, expecting to hear a favorable answer. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they both answered in unison. 
Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. James's heart sank. Wait, Jesus, what do you mean we'll drink the... But James stopped suddenly when he realized the others were returning. Knowing they certainly wouldn't be too happy about James and John shooting their shot, vying for first and second place with the rabbi. James bit his lip as the whole atmosphere became incredibly awkward. The tension was palpable. They began walking again, hoping it would massage out the tension, but it was no use. It didn't take long for the team to get answers out of James and John, figuring out what they had been talking about. In all their years out on the water, James had never seen Peter this angry, this territorial. He was making a beeline for them when Jesus' voice intervened. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, Jesus said. James knew a lecture was coming, and he knew it was his fault. But a lecture from Jesus was better than a fight with Peter. Not so with you, Jesus continued. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Before the disciples had too much time to debrief those words or say anything else to the sons of Zebedee, they arrived in Jericho. James looked around the city, not as large as Jerusalem and yet vastly bigger than what they were used to up in Galilee. All the history of the city flooded through James's mind, shouting much louder than any of the shame he was feeling from the conversation earlier that day. He thought back to all the stories he grew up on about Jericho, about the 40 years of wandering that led the Israelite to cross the Jordan River and then marching around this city for seven days before the walls finally fell. This is where it all began all those years ago. As they walked through the city, a large but civil crowd gathered around them. James was used to that at this point. Just as it seemed they'd get through the entire city with no distractions, he heard a voice. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. James's attention shot over to the source as he instinctively moved toward Jesus. He glanced over simply to note that Peter had done the same, taking his spot dutifully on the other side of Jesus, silently agreeing to work with James here, although his feelings were obviously still hurt from earlier. James spotted the man shouting. He was a blind man, sitting on the side of the road, begging. The people around him were rebuking him, telling him to be quiet, assuring him Jesus had more important things to do. But the more they tried to quiet him, the louder he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. James watched his rabbi closely, trying to get a feel for how Jesus wanted to play this. In the last few weeks, Jesus had been way less patient, not stopping for everyone like he used to. His face was set toward Jerusalem, and he seemed determined to get there at all costs. And yet, in this moment, 
Jesus stopped. Call him over, was all he said. And so they did. The people around the blind man changed their tone from angry to hopeful. Cheer up, they told him. On your feet, he's calling you. James had never seen someone move so fast in his entire life. He threw his cloak aside, jumped to his feet, and began to speed walk toward Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him before he could even get all the way to him. Rabbi, the blind man said in complete desperation, I want to see. James had never heard someone say something and mean it with so much conviction. Go, was all Jesus said. Your faith has healed you. The blind man looked confused, as if he had been prepping for some extravagant ceremony, and then, in an instant, his confusion turned into disbelief. The man held his hand out in front of himself, staring at it intensely, and then his other hand, and then began glancing around at every person in the crowd. James began to smile as he realized what happened. He could see. His stare ended on Jesus. As it did, tears filled his eyes. Thank you, he began to say. But Jesus humbly nodded and kept walking, the man following close behind. Our story is starting to get very interesting. Jesus, for a third time, tells the disciples exactly what is going to happen in Jerusalem. Betrayal, arrest, death, resurrection, but the disciples just don't really get it. And remember, this is in the middle of Jesus saying on repeat, ad nauseum, that the whole point of all this is not earthly power, it's humility. It's not to be great, it's to serve. But the disciples really don't get that. So much so that James and John lay all their cards down on the table, and they have a really embarrassing hand. What do the sons of Zebedee want? The first and the second chair, to the right and left of Jesus. It's a ridiculous story. Like they finally settled who was the greatest, and then they just immediately switched their focus to wanting to secure second and third place, just entirely missing the point Jesus is trying to communicate. Almost as if they are blind, as if they can't see what is right in front of them. And so, it's no wonder that right after that moment takes place, Jesus stops and heals a blind man. Remember, he's on a mission to get to Jerusalem. He knows he needs to get there, so he can't stop and heal every person in every town along the way. However, he does stop and heal this guy. Why? Well, I wonder if one of the reasons was to wink at James and John and all of us, as if Jesus is saying, open your eyes, you still don't see it. You're still playing the wrong game, still fighting the wrong fight, still vying for prestige and power when all the life is found in serving, in healing, in laying down your life for others. As if to say, let's go, there's so much more to life, more freedom to experience, more kingdom work to get done. You just have to learn how to see how to really see. Now one last thought. The blind man in the story is a great example of what it looks like to follow Jesus well. First, he calls Jesus the son of David, which was a way of calling him the Messiah. In 2 Samuel, God makes a covenant with David. 
that the Messiah would come from his lineage, that he would be David's great, 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 etc. grandson. And that's exactly what happened. And Bartimaeus, the man begging on the street corner, knows this and calls it out. And I also love how it says he just left his cloak and ran to Jesus. His cloak was likely the only possession that man had, but he just left it at the opportunity to be with Jesus. Compare that to the rich young ruler from a few episodes ago who had so many possessions that he couldn't bring himself to follow Jesus. Instead, he went away sad. I think Mark is giving us a hint at one of the keys to following Jesus well and truly experiencing healing. You have to stop holding on so tight to all the earthly stuff and instead live a surrendered life. It's not easy, but that's where all the real abundant life is found. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stories in Scripture. We hope season six is bringing Mark's gospel to life for you, and that this episode helped you see the bigger picture Mark is painting for us. If you are enjoying this podcast, we'd love for you to share it with your friends, and rating and review it goes a long way as well. We love getting to tell these stories and appreciate you coming along for the ride. So we'll see you next time for our next story.